Amen. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you all for coming tonight. This is a lot of church that we're doing together this week, isn't it? But it's great. It's great to be with you guys. Um, tonight, I want to talk to you guys about this idea of calling. It was even in some of the songs that we sang that this idea of having a call. My uh, story of calling is kind of an interesting one. Um, when I was a kid, I thought that I was called by God, maybe, to play shortstop for the Kansas City Royals. That's what I thought my calling in life was. And uh, you might not that, think that that's a spiritual endeavor, but if you're a Royals fan like I am, there couldn't be a more spiritual endeavor than that. And I held on to that for way too long, uh, but eventually had to let it go when I found out that I was never going to be any bigger than this, and I was never going to be able to hit the ball out of Coffin Stadium, so I couldn't probably play baseball for a living. And so I moved on from that, and in the end of high school and the beginning of college, I thought I was actually called to be an actor. And I did actually include the Lord in that calling. I thought that I was going to take on Hollywood for the kingdom of God. And um, some people laugh at that. <laughs> I guess it's worth laughing about, but I was in a lot of theater productions. And so my senior year of college, um, our spring musical was The Wizard of Oz. You guys know The Wizard of Oz? Okay, it's, it's pretty popular around Kansas City where I live. Um, but so I tried out for The Wizard of Oz, and I tried out for the best part in The Wizard of Oz, which is what? No, you're all wrong. It's the flying monkeys. It's obviously the flying monkeys. Like, they're the best part of The Wizard of Oz. And so we tried, a buddy of mine, James, we tried out to be the flying monkeys, you know, crazy enough, we were the only two that wanted to do it. So we got the part just by default, and we took it seriously, man. We, like, choreographed our entrances and our exits, and we had everything. They let us do basically whatever we wanted, and it was elaborate. Our first big exit, the stage was about five or six. It was about five feet. I won't say six because that would be a lot, but four or five feet off the ground, and James, we were dressed up in our full monkey suit, you know, with purple wings and everything. And James, our first big exit, he would do a somersault off the front of the stage. And I would jump out over him. I would clear the first two to three rows of the audience into the aisleway. And we would, like, triumphantly monkey out of the auditorium. And it was incredible. It was so awesome that by the Saturday night performance at our college, Everyone was coming to see the famous flying monkeys. I and mean, they were coming to see us. And the Saturday night performance was like sold out. In fact, it was oversold out. And so the stage manager came back before the show and said, listen, you guys, we had to put seats in the aisleway. So you can't do your normal monkey thing tonight because you'll, you'll kill people. Like you'll go right into where people are sitting. And so we had this real issue on our hands because on one hand, you know, we didn't want to hurt anyone. But on the other hand, our egos had grown to the place where we were like, we have to give them what they came to see. <laughs> they came to see the flying monkeys. We have to give them the show that they wanted, you know. And so, we, we, you know, our heads were so big that we were like, let's just choreograph something on the fly. Like five minutes before curtain, we can just make something up. And we even added stuff. Like the Saturday night crowd. So James got down on his hands and knees off stage, and I jumped off of his back so it looked like I was flying down onto the stage. And then we still were going to do our big first exit, 
But instead of going out into the audience, uh, I was going to monkey my way over to a corner of the stage. And when James did his somersault, I would jump sideways over top of him. So to give him the same visual, but, you know, not hurt anyone. The problem with this was we had never practiced it that way. So as I made my way to the corner of the stage, I, I realized that the timing was a little bit different. And so I must have left about a split second too early. And to be honest with you, I don't really remember what happened next. I just know that at some point his monkey foot hit me in my monkey face. And we fell in like a monkey heap on the ground. If, there, if YouTube was as prominent as it is now back then, you guys would still know me as the guy that nearly killed himself being the flying monkeys in this college performance. The worst part of that was at the end of each performance, we had a greeting line where everyone could come by and you had to be in your full costume while everyone walked by, which every other night they were like, you guys were awesome. But that night they were like, are you guys okay? That looked awful. Like, so it goes without saying that my acting days were kind of slowly faded away after that. And I was on with the search for what my calling in life would be. And, you know, it's a really interesting thing, this idea of calling, isn't it? I think that we talk about this idea of calling a lot in the church. And we make some assumptions that maybe we shouldn't make. We assume that people just know what we're talking about. We assume that everyone has either had an experience or known someone that's had an experience and they've been called. And so we kind of assume that everyone knows what that means. And actually, I don't think that's a fair assumption. I think actually there's a lot of confusion around what it means to be called. I mean, what am I being called to? What, what does it even mean to be called? What does that whole thing mean? And I think for me, the confusion comes from the fact that when we talk about calling in the church, we're actually talking about two separate things. They flow together. They can't be separated from one another, but they actually are different. The first of those is an individual calling. And this is what we talk about a lot. It's when a specific person is called to do a specific thing at a specific time. And we see this a lot in the Bible with like Moses and Joseph. And in the New Testament, you have Paul and Peter and all of the other Beatles. See, I was just seeing if you guys are awake. That's a good one. I'll just slip it in there. But a lot of people that are called to do specific things at specific times. And some people, that's still happening today. And some of us resonate with that idea of calling. But then again, some of us don't. And the thing is, when it comes to calling, that really isn't individual callings. That's not the thing that binds us all together when it comes to this idea of calling. The thing that binds us together as a community when it comes to calling is this second thing that we confusingly lump in with the first. And that is our universal calling. This is the universal call on all of our lives to be like Jesus. Every single day. To display the love of God. The thing about this calling is, this universal calling, you don't have to wait for it. 
You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to switch jobs. You don't have to switch majors. You don't have to move to some different place. You don't even have to hear anything else from God. He said all he needs to say. Go and learn and listen to the words and the actions of Jesus. Go into the world and do likewise. This is the universal call that is on our lives every day. And I think where we get tripped up when it comes to calling is when we start to think that one of these, our individual calling, our universal call, that one of them is actually more important than the other. I think the worst thing is when we start to talk about this individual calling so much that we forget about this universal call on all of our lives. And this has been happening for a very long time, and that brings us to our scripture for tonight. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's Matthew 9. We're going to be in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. It's the story of Matthew's calling. And so the gospel writer is writing about his own calling. And it says this. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. So to properly dive into this scripture, what I need need to do is I need to take you all to Rome with me. Are you guys ready to go? I talked to Pastor Aaron, and he wouldn't actually pay for us all to go together. So we're just going to have to go in our imagination. Um, But I want you to imagine that we flew to Rome together, okay, and we're walking through the streets of Rome. And we happen upon this church. It's called San Luigi de Francesi, okay, which... Do you guys want to say that, San Luigi de Francesi? Isn't it fun to say? It means St. Louis of the French, but it isn't nearly as fun to say San Luigi de Francesi. So inside of this, we walk into this church, and we look up to the right, and there, free for public viewing, are three paintings by the famous Baroque artist Caravaggio. And my mom was an art teacher. She was an art historian. So I was raised on painters like Caravaggio. He was always my favorite because of the way that he did lighting. And I just always loved him from the time I was a kid. And these are just three of his paintings, free for public viewing. One of these is one of his most famous paintings. And you can go ahead and throw those, those three paintings up there. So the first painting, and they're kind of squeezed together, so sorry about that. But the first painting is one of his most famous. It's the calling of St. Matthew. But all three paintings revolve around this same central figure of Matthew. And it's super cool because as we're looking at these paintings in this church, what we get to see is the life of Matthew play out from the moment he's called to the moment that he dies as a martyr. And what always fascinates me about the idea of this church and these three paintings, anyone can walk in and anyone can see these. What if someone walked in and they had no idea about Jesus, about calling, about any of that, and they just looked up at these three paintings? 
and they saw the life of this, this guy named Matthew play out, what would they be led to think about what it means to be called? What would they be led to think? And I'm actually going to have you guys talk to each other tonight. I don't know how much you guys do this, but I want you to take just a couple minutes and turn to those who are around you, sitting next to you, and just discuss from that perspective, what do you think someone would think if they saw these three paintings? What would they think about what happened to this guy's life after he was called? So take two minutes right now and discuss that together. So this may or may not have come up in your groups, and a lot of you are still talking, so sorry to interrupt, but this may or may have not come up, but the thing that I always think about, and I wish they weren't smushed together because you could get a real picture of of Matthew's life, but um, the question that always comes to me as I think of someone from that perspective is what they might ask is why. Why would he do it? I mean, if you can see these paintings, so Matthew is the guy that's sitting at the table in the first one, and he's pointing to his chest. And so what we see is that Matthew was a tax collector, and he had a prominent place in society. He has a place at the table, man. He's sitting with other prominent people. He has money. His, His clothes are fancy. And yet there's this guy from the shadows who is calling him away from all that. And Matthew has his finger to his chest as if to say, I I can't believe you're calling me. So then we go to the second painting. And some years have passed, right? I mean, Matthew looks old. (laughs) He looks like he put his his face in that face app. Have you guys seen people do that? They put their face in that face. I mean, he got old all of a sudden. His clothes are different. They're not fancy anymore. They're shabby. They're barely hanging off his body. He doesn't have a place at the table anymore. He's not sitting. He's kneeling at the table in humility. And this is where we would start to ask, why? I mean, why would he do, why, why wouldn't he go back? Whatever this guy from the shadows was asking him to do, it didn't go well, right? I mean, why wouldn't he go back to being a tax collector? Something must have happened between painting one and painting two. There must have been so, something so captivating about this man from the shadows, this Jesus guy that led Matthew to continue on with his individual calling in life, even when things weren't looking good. And then the third painting, which I'm sorry, you can't see Matthew's face, but he's the guy right here, and he's about to get run through with a sword. He's about to die as a martyr, which would just solidify the question, why? Why would he do it? I mean, why would you live it? Why would you give up that life, unless something bigger got a hold of Matthew, something universal that took hold of him, that was bigger than his individual call, something that kept him going when things got tough. You'll notice from our scripture today that this story is the story of of the calling of Matthew, but did you notice that the calling of Matthew is one sentence? It's one sentence in the story. Jesus calls and Matthew follows. That's it. The rest of this story is about who? It's about the Pharisees. It's about them witnessing this and Jesus hanging out with sinners and them asking him 
Why? So here's a couple things we need to know about the Pharisees. Because when we say the Pharisees in church, they get this bad rap. Like we, and rightfully so. They hated Jesus. They had him arrested, you know. So rightfully so. But we need to understand that if we lived back then, we would have thought the Pharisees were the good guys. We would have. They obeyed the law. They knew the law. They obeyed it down to the letter. They lived lives of piety and prayer and sacrifice. They believed that their individual calling in life was separation from the riffraff. To live a holy life unlike these lowly people. And when you understand that about the Pharisees, you get why they hated Jesus. When Jesus was hanging out with and calling sinners, people like Peter, the failed fisherman, and Matthew, the tax collector, it wasn't that he was saying the Pharisees weren't special. He was saying something tons worse than that. He was saying, all y'all are special. All of you are special. And everyone is worthy of a called life. That was the antithesis of what the Pharisees had built their whole life on. And that's why they hated him so much. The other thing is this, that we don't like to think about the Pharisees. At some point in their lives, it is possible, it's probable actually, that they had real connection to God. That they had real moments of actual faith with the real living God. We don't want to think that. We want to think the Pharisees were just always bad. They're just always evil. And that's why they hated Jesus. That's probably not true. What happened is at some point they lost their way. At some point there was a place of separation. And that's uncomfortable for us because we lose our way sometimes. And we have places of separation. And the thing about Jesus is... Every time he has an encounter with the Pharisees, that is what he's addressing. He's addressing the exact point of separation, which is, again, why they hated him so much. Because he was calling out the very place where they were separating themselves from him. Have you ever had Jesus do this to you? Like, everything in your life looks great. Everything in your life is going a really good direction. But there's just one thing. And it's headed off this way. And you and God know it's headed this way. But you're like, surely it won't matter because all this stuff is so great. But then Jesus is like, hey, Jason, what about the one thing? And you're like, no, Jesus, look at all this stuff, man. This stuff is going great. But he's like, no, no. But this is separating you and I. And I can't be separated from you in any way. So he has to address the place of separation. So here, the Pharisees are asking Jesus, why do you hang out with and call sinners? And Jesus responds to them in three sentences. The very first one is very simple. Doctors don't hang out with healthy people. That wouldn't make any sense. Doctors hang out with sick people. The second sentence is where it gets a lot tougher, and this is the place of separation for them. And Jesus knows it because he actually gives them this assignment. He says, go. Like, you won't be able to figure this out right now. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's a very interesting thing for Jesus to say, isn't it? It's an interesting thing for Jesus to point to because if you know 
what he's quoting, he's actually quoting the book of Hosea. Does anyone know the story of Hosea the prophet? It's probably one of the craziest stories in all of the Bible. And I'm going to kind of use my wording carefully because there's kids in the room. So Hosea was a prophet whose individual calling in life was to marry a woman who had not that great of a career. <laughs> if you follow me, her career led her into some relationships that weren't the greatest. And uh, this was her job. And, and Hosea had to marry her, but not as like a duty, like, like, oh, I have to do this because God is telling me to. No, he had to love her like God loves his children. This required Hosea to chase his wife down no, no matter how many business deals she did, if you get what I'm saying. This is not a joke. He had to chase her down. Eventually, you know what he had to do? He had to pay the price of a customer to get his wife back and then still beg her to be faithful to him. Sit with that for a second. And I, I want to put it in this context. What if, so Chase is the new youth pastor here. So what if one of his students came and they're like, Chase, I want to go in front of the church. I have awesome news. I have a calling straight from God. This is awesome. And, and Chase would be like, yeah, man, give him a mic, put him in front of the church. And he's like, guess what, guys? I've been called to marry a, yeah. And we'd be like, Okay, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, we've, some of us, I think all of us here are old enough, we've seen the movie Pretty Woman, like, so you're going to save this, this woman from a life of that job, you know, and, and this, this student would be like, no, 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 she's going to continue to do that, but I'm just going to chase her down. I, I, no matter how much she does that, I'm just going to continue to pursue her because that's what God's told me to do. In fact, and this is why I wanted to tell the church about it, I'm hoping, you know, at some point I'm going to have to pay the price of a customer to get her back. So if we can start to pass the plates. No way. No way, man. We would not put the money in that. That's crazy. And yet this is the story that Jesus points the Pharisees to when attempting to explain to them what it means to be called. I used to think, and when I preached on this before, I thought the reason Jesus did this is because he's trying to remind the Pharisees it's supposed to be hard. This kind of love is supposed to hurt. And it's true, you know, the word for love in Hosea is chesed. It's like, it's like God's love. It's infinite love. It's love that never gives up and never fails. It tears you to pieces and it puts you back together again. Actually, the lines leading up to the line that Jesus quotes in Hosea, it says, I tear you to pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. And then my judgments go forth like the sun, for I desire mercy not sacrifice. This is the kind of love, the kind of mercy that Jesus is talking about. But then I realized something. Sacrifice, doing hard things, that was not the place of separation for the Pharisees. The place of separation for them was they forgot why. They forgot why. 
Why do we come to the temple every day? Man, they were great at sacrifice. They came every single day and they gave and they sacrificed and they made sure everyone saw how great they were at it, but they had forgotten why. And when Jesus points them to Hosea, what he's saying is, look at this, look at this guy. Look at this broken down prophet. His individual calling makes no earthly sense outside of a universal call to display, to embody the love of God. That's what he's doing. That makes no individual, it makes no earthly sense. Outside of a universal calling on all of our lives to display the love of God. The, the three paintings I showed you, the life of Matthew, if you see those three paintings, that doesn't make sense. Make, living that life does not make sense outside of a bigger universal call to follow this rabbi, to display the love of God at all costs. The life of Jesus. What is displayed in this cross that is in every Christian church that you come across. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense outside of a universal call on all of our lives to display the love of God. They forgot the reason why. And when we forget the reason why, it has terrible consequences. For the Pharisees it did. They forgot to take care of the widow and the orphan. They got so wrapped up and their individual calling every day, going through the empty rituals, that they forgot to just be the love of God in their world. And it put them in a place where Jesus has to say the third sentence to them, which is basically, that's why I haven't come to call you, because you think you have it all figured out. I'm going to call these sinners in hopes that they can remind you of the why why we do the things we do. See, the thing about calling is that I think a lot of us that come into church, and, and I know a lot of people that are outside the church, when they talk about calling, they're like, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm just living my life, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm in school, I'm, I'm gonna get a job or I have a job, I'm trying to take care of my family, you know, I'm looking for a job, I'm in all stages of life and I don't know about this calling idea. I, I really don't know what that means or what that is. And the first thing I wanna say to you, do you know if you're in that position, you are the exact kind of person that Jesus went to to change the world? That's all the disciples. They weren't looking for a call. They were fishing. They were being tax collectors and lawyers. They weren't looking for anyone to call them. And when Jesus came and got them, he chose those people to change the world. That's you if you're in that place. So be ready. Secondly, know this. You are called every day to display the love of God, to follow this Jesus and to be, to, to, to do what he did in this world. We are all called to do that. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says, hey, just twiddle your thumbs and I will come and get you when I need you. It doesn't say it. You are called every day to embody 
the love of God. I hope that empowers you. Does it empower you to know that? If you are one of those individuals that you resonate, man, you have an individual calling on your life. I've been called to the mission field. I've been called to be a pastor. I've been called to be a social worker. I've been called to do a specific thing at a specific time. First of all, rejoice. Think how amazing it is that we have an infinite God who asks finite people to advance his kingdom in this world. He could do it himself. He could do it himself, but he decides to use broken people like us to do specific things at specific times. This God who is outside of time and space enters into space and tells us to do specific things. It's crazy. We should do nothing but rejoice at that. But secondly, be careful. Be careful. Do not let your individual call become the itch empty ritual that keeps you away from the universal call in all of our lives to display the love of God. Don't let that happen like it did with the Pharisees. Your individual call is important. It is necessary. It is a beautiful sound in the ear of God, but it is one sound amidst the symphony of sounds that is crescendoing up to the coming of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Amen? You know, this message is very poignant for me. <laughs> I, uh, I've done a lot of different jobs in the church, in the local church. Um, it's always been underneath the title of worship arts, which basically means anything in the church that has arts attached to it, which is everything. So I've done a lot of different jobs, but my main gig has been the dude that strumming his guitar and singing his lungs out, you know? And I've been doing that since I was about 22 years old. And I always, I think when I was about in my mid-20s, I was like, okay, God, here's the deal. If I'm 40 and I'm still up there jumping around on stage strumming my guitar and singing, I guess not a good look. Like, we got to find something else for me to do at that point, you know? And that's... It can happen. Like, I'm not, that was just a number that I made up, but I'm 37. And so I'm coming close to that number that I made up. And so it's been a conversation between me and God. Like, okay, God, what, what's next? Like, what, what do you want to do with me? And man, we worry so much about this, don't we? Like, what, what do you want to do with me, God? What do you want me to do? And it was right in the middle of that conversation. Maybe I would even go so far as to say an argument with God that I had this experience. I'll never forget it in all of my life. I was, uh, I was asked to go and play at this funeral. Um, it was a funeral for a lady in our church who had special needs and she tragically passed away. And it was a song that I had written that had touched her. And so she asked me to come and play it for her funeral. And I was honored and humbled to do that. And so I'm, I'm sitting in the service, and I'm waiting for my turn to play this song. And the first thing in the service was a bell choir. And this bell choir was one that she had played in when she was alive. And so it was made up of, of all people with special needs at varying level of, you know, issues that they were facing. And so I was intrigued by this because, like, how are they going to direct this, this choir? And it was, 
It was ingenious. So the director had this scroll that she would unravel. And, and there was squares on the scroll. And she would point to the square. And there was like numbers and colors. And so when they saw their number or their color, they would ring their bell. And she simply went along, pointed to the squares, and they would ring their bell. And it was beautiful, man. It was like this beautiful music that they were making. But right when they began, my eyes were locked on this one individual. It was this young man, and he was blind. And also had other issues that he was dealing with, obviously. But he was led up on the stage by his father. And they were faced out towards the crowd. The rest of the bell choir was kind of sideways, but they were faced right towards the crowd. So you just, I was just locked right on him. And I was, I was interested in how he would play with the rest of the bell choir because he obviously couldn't see the scroll being unraveled. And so he and his dad locked hands. And in their, inner, in their locked hands, they had a bell. And then in their free hand, they had a bell. And he would simply wait. And when it came time for him to play his bell, his father would begin to move. And they would do this kind of beautiful dance move together where they would rock back up and ring and back up and ring and back up and ring. And man, as that was happening, the Lord was just speaking directly to, to me and saying, that's what I want you to do. I've given you a bell to ring. You don't have to worry when to ring it. I'll start to move, and then you'll know. But you know what struck me the most? And I, I wish I could take, I wish I would, it would have been inappropriate to take a photo of it, so I didn't do it. But I wish I could show you the joy on this young man's face. And not just when he was playing his bell, but it, it, the whole time as he's listening to the music of his brothers and sisters around him, he just radiated joy joy and peace it's so different than we are isn't it we get so worried about man what's my calling what am i supposed to do and lord was telling me there's so much more joy there's so much more peace available and every time I tell this story, because the pastor in me wants to like tell you how it relates to all that I've talked about and tear it apart and kind of make all these connections to it. And the Lord has specifically spoken to me and said, I don't want you to do that, Jason. I want you to tell them that story that I gave to you and let me talk to them. Let me talk to them. And so that's what I want to do. I'm gonna play a song to close us, but just like we did last night, I want you to imagine that young man in your mind. And if it's helpful for you, maybe and see yourself in that place, interlocking hands with the Father, waiting for him to move, and then you go back up and ring. And that joy and that peace that's on his face, it's available for you. And so if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And in this moment of silence before we sing this closing song, I just want you to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you about that image of that young man. What does that story mean to you?
Just open your ears to him and let him speak to you.